for taking the time to listen to the sermon from Hope Church Toronto North. It is our prayer that through this, you are challenged by the Word of God, you are built up in love, and that you are drawn more to the person and work of Jesus Christ. We want to remind you, this is never meant to substitute God's good plan for you to be present in a local church under the care of qualified elders. If you do live in the North Toronto area and are looking for a local church, we invite you to join us at one of our Sunday morning gatherings. Our desire is that God would use this to encourage you with the hope we have in Jesus. His disciples were picking grain or heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands and eating them. But some of the Pharisees said, why are you doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Jesus answered them, have you read what David and those who were with him did when they were hungry? How he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat. He even gave some to those who were with him. Then he told them, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. A man was there whose right hand was shriveled. The scribes and Pharisees were watching him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath so that they could find a charge against him. But he knew their thoughts and told the man with the shriveled hand, get up and stand here. So he got up and stood there. Then Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath or to do evil, to save life or destroy it? After looking around at them all, he took him. He told him, stretch out your hand. He did and his hand was restored. They, however, were filled with rage and started discussing with one another what they might do to Jesus. Let's just pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Um, Thank you for who you are, that you never change, that your words never change, God, and that we can rest um, in your power and in the power of your word in the gospel, God. Uh, Thank you for this time that we could um, worship you. I just pray that it would please you. And yeah, I pray for Shayon as he comes up here to bring your word. Um, Just work mightily through him. Um, May you preach um, a gospel of truth in Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 You guys can go ahead and take your seats. If you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to open them up to Luke chapter 6, verses 1 to 11. That's where we're going to be. It was just read for us, but before we get into the text, I want to give us a quick overview of the gospel of Luke. Uh, you know, we started this series back in the, the winter of 2019, so a lot has happened since then. And so just as a way of reminder, just so that we know what's happened in the gospel so far, Maybe one of the uh, useful things that you can do in this coming week as we continue in this series in Luke is to read the first six chapters. Before you come next week, take time during the week to read Luke chapters one to six and, and you'll find that you'll be more prepared to hear from God's word. But until you do that, here's a quick recap of what's happened so far. So at the very beginning, the, the promise and the birth of both John the Baptist and Jesus. So we covered those things into the Christmas of of 2019. 
Uh, And then after that, the ministry and arrest of John the Baptist. Uh, After that, the baptism of Jesus and his early ministry. And then he goes and he calls his disciples. And so we hear uh, some of that, you know, the disciples are in the boat, they're fishing, and and Jesus tells them what to do. Uh, And then the healing of diseases. Uh, And then last week, Pastor Marv went through this, the repentance of Levi and the call to embrace a new way of living. In the passage that we find ourselves today, we're gonna see what it means to live in that new way, the the new way that Jesus calls us to embrace. That's why the, the title of today's message is, How Are You Living? How are you living? Jesus wants to show us just that. The same way stores, as soon as you walk in, really want us to see what's on sale. Uh, the same way Marvel really wants us to see the Black Widow. You see the, the trailers and the posters everywhere. The same way people on Instagram want you to see what they had for lunch, Jesus wants us to see that gospel living, and this is our big takeaway, what I want you to walk away with is gospel living is marked by devotion to Jesus. Jesus and compassion towards others. So love for God and love for others. And what I want want you to walk away with and what I hope to do with this message is to convince you that following Jesus is full of joy that it's not a burdensome thing to follow Jesus. And that as we follow him, it's actually one of the ways, following Jesus is one of the ways that we can bring joy into the life of those around us. So let's look at the text, verse one. So Luke chapter six, six, starting at verse one. On a Sabbath, he passed through the grain fields His disciples were picking heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands and eating them. But some of the Pharisees said, why are you doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Well, Jesus answered them, haven't you read what David and those who were with him did when he was hungry? How he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat. He even gave some to those who were with him. Then he told him, told them, the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. See, Jesus and his disciples are out for a walk. And so they start to get hungry and then they start to eat grain from the field. And so what Jesus is gonna show us in this point is, is this, that we should acknowledge the authority of Jesus. Before we move on, I forgot to say the first point, but here it is. We should acknowledge the authority of Jesus. So they're out in the field, they get hungry, they start eating, and then the Pharisees show up out of nowhere, all in their business. See, this should seem strange to us as we're reading. Why? Because they're in the middle of a field. They're outside of the city, they're doing their own thing, it's their day off, and the Pharisees kind of like jump out of nowhere and say, caught you. See, they're clearly spying on them. See, they're looking for a way to trap Jesus and his disciples, and they think they've done it because they found Jesus and his disciples eating on the Sabbath. Look at verse two. But some of the Pharisees said, why are you doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? 
So before we go on, a good question to ask as we're reading the Bible is what is the Sabbath? Well, Moses tells us in Exodus chapter 20, he says this, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You are to labor six days and to do all your work, but on the seventh day, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You must not do any work. You, your son, your daughter, your male or female servant, your livestock, or the resident alien. So everyone in the nation, he's saying every single person, every animal, everything you own, who is within your city gates. For the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and everything in them in the six days. Then he rested on the seventh day. Here it is. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and declared it holy. You gotta remember, when when Moses is dispensing the commands of God to the people of Israel at this point, they had just escaped Egypt. Remember when they were back there, there was no rest. They were driven hard, they were slaves, they were forced to work to the point of exhaustion and even death. And so God gives this, gives the Sabbath, this command that he gives is actually a a gift because he wants his people to rest. They've come from a place where there's been no rest and here's God saying, I want you to have a day off. And I want you to have a day off so badly I'm making it a command. See, when we, the people of God, actually rest, it actually is a form of worship. Why? Because it does a a couple things. It shows these things. It shows that we actually trust God to sustain us. When we rest, it it shows that we, we trust God to sustain us. Here's what David says, and this is Psalm 3. So if the context is Psalm 3, David's running from his son Absalom who wants to kill him. So if anyone has a reason not to rest, at that moment, it was David. Because if he slept, he probably could have died, but he's trusting God to sustain him. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because why? The Lord say it with me, sustains me. When we rest, it's a trust that God sustains us. We're not trusting in our own strength. See, C.H. Spurgeon said the sovereignty of God is the pillow that we lay our heads down at night to rest. We can sleep. When we sleep, we have no control over our lives. When's the last time you had control when you were sleeping? When you sleep, you are entrusting yourself to one who has full control over everything. Rest is is a way to worship. Sleep is a form of worship because you are giving up strength so that you can say that you trust God. It also shows when we rest, we trust God to provide for us. Because when we're resting, we're not working. And so we're saying, God, in this time, I'm not working and grinding to to make money. I'm trusting that you will provide for me. But it also shows that we believe we have limits. See, one of the clearest things in the scriptures is that we are not like God. See, the psalmist says, we have to sleep, but the Lord neither sleeps nor slumbers. We're not like him at all. And so when we rest, we acknowledge our weaknesses, our limits, and we we actually say, God, you're not like me. You're worthy of worship. And so what does that mean for us then? Well, it means this. Just like last week, it's, it's being repeated often because this is a theme throughout this gospel, that like last week, God calls us to work hard. 
When, we, when we're to work, we do it well and we work hard. But when it comes time to rest, rest well. Make it a pattern in your life because as you rest, it's an opportunity to worship the Lord. See, this command that God gives to rest is a serious command. It was so serious that the religious leaders at the time came up with a rule book of 39 rules so that you knew exactly what to do. But then they would go about and make sure you followed all of them. See, like, it's like the coupons that you get in the mail. You know, it's like free burger. But then you look at the, the terms and conditions and you find that it's actually super restrictive. You can only go to participating stores only every other Monday after 3 p.m. It's like all these conditions you have to keep in mind what turns out what came as free or was advertised as free and a, a gift actually became so restrictive. And that's what the, the Pharisees have done with the Sabbath. God gives it as a gift, but because of all the rules and the conditions that they've added to it, it actually became impossible to obey and to enjoy the Sabbath. See, God intended a day of rest and freedom, but men turned it into a day of worry and restriction. See, don't we have that tendency with the gifts that God gives to, to turn it into something else? See, that's why we need to be careful in the God-given call for us to be zealous to obey his word. To, uh, we need to be aware of the tendency that we have to, to become legalistic, to take God's good gifts and his commandments and turn them into burdens that crush us and crush those around us. We need to be aware of the tendency that we have to apply God's commands in ways that he never intended. And then we also need to be aware that, that we don't make our own expression, our personal expressions of obedience the standard for everyone around us. Now, I wanna be clear of what I'm not saying. I'm not saying we abandon God's commands. See, God has made it abundantly clear that he expects us and commands us to live in a certain way. But, but obedience may look different in the, in the various different and particular contexts that God has each of us in. And so what we need to do in times like that is to ask God for wisdom. Why? So that we can actually obey the commands that he's given us, but also live in the freedom that Christ has given to us. Why? Because it's so easy to take God's commands and make them into burdens. For example, we, we have the, the exhortation in the word to give ourselves over to the regular reading and study of God's word. But it's so easy to twist it and say, uh, and, and make it a standard for everyone else around us saying, you know, you have to read God's word every single day before 5 a.m. before you even take a bite of food. Don't eat if you haven't read. The Bible doesn't make that kind of exhortation or the exhortation to give financially as we are led and as we are able to sacrificially. And then we turn around and make it saying, give beyond what you are able to at a minimum of 10%. Or the exhortation that the Bible makes saying, don't get drunk. And then we twist it and we say, don't drink at all. We, we take God's commands and twist it and make it into burdens, our own personal expression, and make it burdens for everyone else. Now, some of you might need to, to obey God's word like that, though. 
but the call is to not make your own personal expression of obedience the standard for everyone else because then you become like the Pharisees. Because what the Pharisees do is they take those 39 rules, these man-made traditions, and try to accuse Jesus and the disciples of breaking the Sabbath. See, so they do that, and look at how Jesus responds. Verse three, Jesus answered them, haven't you read what David and those who were with him did when he was hungry? Verse four, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat. He even gave some to those who were with him. See, Jesus rebukes the Pharisees for coming up with their own interpretation of the law. He gives the example of David. And if you wanna read the story that Jesus is talking about, you can go to 1 Samuel chapter 21. It's a, it's a great story. You can read it in your own time. But what happens, Jesus summarizes it for us here, that David and his companions ate bread that was reserved only for the priests. But what you find is all throughout the Bible, there's no condemnation on David or his companions. See, Jesus is saying there's clearly things that are outside of the restrictions of the Sabbath. He's saying, first of all, before we go anywhere else, I haven't broken the law. But then he goes on and he says, David's companions are able to do these things because of who David is. David has authority. But the thing we need to remember is Jesus is greater than David. And that's what he goes on to say. Verse five, then he told them, the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. Now, if, we, if we're wondering what that means, the BD is very helpful in explaining this. He says this, as Lord of the Sabbath, he, meaning Jesus, rules the Sabbath. He can only rule the Sabbath if, in fact, he owns it. He can own, only own it if he is the one who made it and gave it. The seventh day, like all days, is put beneath the Lord's feet. Verse five is a powerful statement from Jesus' own mouth that he is God. The son of man is Lord of the Sabbath, not servant to it, and he is guiltless before it. See, when Jesus declares himself to be Lord of the Sabbath, he's saying he's on equal, he's, he's uh, claiming equality with God, with Yahweh, who dispensed the Sabbath in the first place. Now, he can only be equal with Yahweh because he is God himself. See, Jesus wants us to see that he has full authority because he is God. See, all throughout the Gospels, the way the writers, not just in Luke, but throughout the Gospels, show that Jesus is divine is when Jesus claims equality with God. Jesus is fully divine, and that's why he has full authority even over the Sabbath. But notice, in the example of Jesus, he uses his authority not to burden his people, but to serve them. Not only does Jesus give the law, but he also fulfills the law. Look at what he says in Matthew chapter five. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. 
I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. See, Jesus is the perfect lawgiver who doesn't use the law to burden his people, but comes and perfectly fulfills all of it. So when we repent and we turn to Jesus in faith, he offers us that perfect righteousness. And so once we, when we do that, he then brings us into perfect rest. See, Jesus fulfills the Sabbath. The Sabbath was a day of rest, but when we come to Jesus in faith, he gives us perfect rest because we don't have to work anymore. Jesus is saying, I've done it all. If you come to me, you get my righteousness. We no longer have to work for for God's approval or to be justified under the law. We stand behind Jesus. And so when God looks at us, he sees his perfect son. And so he welcomes us in as he would welcome his own son, Jesus. And because of that, because of the perfect rest he gives us, because of his perfect obedience to the law and the righteousness that he gives to us, we enter into true Sabbath rest for eternity. See, Augustine, in in his long book, City of God, he he gets to this, and this is how he ends. Because as as he's considering all of, of, of who God is, he can only get to this point that one day there will be rest that will never end. He says this, certainly that city, meaning heaven, shall have no greater joy than celebration of the grace of Christ who redeemed us by his blood. If you're wondering what we're gonna do in heaven, it's that, celebrating him, the grace that he's given to us. There shall be accomplished the words of the psalm, be still, and know that I am God, perfect rest. There shall be the great Sabbath, which has no evening, meaning it's not gonna come to an end. Why is there no evening? Because there's no night in heaven. Jesus, the radiant son of God, will keep it bright and ongoing forever. There we shall rest and see, see and love, love and praise. This is what shall be in the end without end. There's rest that is coming. If you're weary here this afternoon, there's rest coming, not only perfect rest from working for your salvation in faith in Jesus Christ, but perfect rest forever. I know I'm tired. I'm tired this week. And and that's one thing I'm looking forward to, that there's no more tiredness, no more weariness. God is gonna give us perfect and forever rest. When we repent and we come under the authority of Jesus, he gives us a beautiful hope and a future. Now Luke, after talking about this, immediately jumps to another Sabbath. It's almost like you know the, the dog from the movie Up, like squirrel, like he, he moves on to something else. But what, I wanna help us read the Bible a little bit better because De- Luke is putting these two things to show that not only does Jesus have authority over the Sabbath, but he uses his authority to serve people, to show compassion. He, Luke wants to show us that these two things are actually Connected. It's a good way to read the Bible. Not only does Jesus have authority over the Sabbath, but he uses it for compassion towards others. Look at verse six. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. A man 
a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. The scribes and the Pharisees were watching him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath so that they could find a charge against him. But he knew their thoughts and told the man with the shriveled hand, get up and stand here. So he got up and stood there. Verse nine, then Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? After looking around at all of them, he told them, stretch out your hand. He did, and his hand was restored. Verse 11, they, meaning the Pharisees and the scribes, however, were filled with rage and started discussing with one another what they might do to Jesus. Remember our big takeaway. I don't want you to forget that. Gospel living is marked by devotion to Jesus and compassion towards one another. And that's what Luke goes on to show us. And it's our our second point. We should imitate the compassion of Jesus. We should imitate his compassion. Look again at verse six. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. A man was there whose right hand was shriveled. The the scribes and the Pharisees were watching him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath so that they could find a charge against him. One thing we notice right away, the scribes and the Pharisees haven't given up. They're, They're stalking Jesus and the disciples. Look at how he says it. We're watching him closely. That can be translated as as spying or watching out of the corner of their eye. They've come with the intention of putting Jesus to death. Where do you see that? Look at verse seven again. So that they could find a charge against him. Sabbath violations were punishable by death. The scribes and the Pharisees were out to kill Jesus and his disciples. See, the sad thing is the the Pharisees and the scribes know who Jesus is, what he can do, and who he's claimed to be. See, Jesus has proved over and over already in the Gospel of Luke that he is God through his preaching, through his miracles, through the signs and the wonders that he has done. There's no doubt in anyone's mind who Jesus is. But the Pharisees are, are refusing to embrace this fact. They're committed to their own interpretation of the law. They're they're saying we're committed to, to how we understand the Sabbath. We're not open to correction. And they're they're committed to their own idea of a promised Messiah. See, they had in their minds that the Messiah who was promised to come would lead them into victory in a military fashion. And so when Jesus comes preaching a gospel of of peace, a gospel of repentance, of reconciliation, they're like, "We, we don't want anything to do with that, even though God himself is walking before them. Did you notice that? Jesus is right there, and they, they can't see him for who he is. See, this is, this is the idea of sunk cost. They've committed too much to their own ideas. See, Alan Jacobs, he, he writes this in his book, How to Think. See, Pastor Marv, was, this was one of the first recommended books he gave me, so I'm not sure if, if I should take offense, and like he just didn't know how I was thinking properly, but it's a, it's a fantastic book. You should read it. It says this, establishing and holding a position is natural, probably inevitable, but it can lead to errors. Why? 
because you become resistant to acknowledging that facts have changed. You become entrenched. You've devoted a lot of time and energy to establishing your ground, protecting it from assault. To change now would be, it seems to you, to admit that all of that work was for nothing. See, the Pharisees, they've committed their whole lives to this specific interpretation of the law. They've committed their lives to working for their salvation. So to give up now would, would would, would be to admit that their whole lives were pointless. If you're an unbeliever here in this room, this might be where you are. You, you see Jesus clearly. You, you acknowledge that he is God. You, you've seen the work that he can do in the lives of people. But you also see the pile of things that, that it would cost you to turn to him. Maybe it's, it's family that, that would abandon you. Maybe it's your own career that would, would be taken from you. Maybe it's just the, the fact that you've been holding your position for, for years, for decades, And to turn from that now would feel like I've just wasted my whole life. See, when Jesus calls his disciples to follow him, he calls them to count that cost. And so the cost might be high for you, but I want to encourage you that when we turn to Jesus, he promises us that when we gain him, we gain everything. You can take the world, but give me Jesus, right? Because in Jesus, we have everything. The world's gonna pass away. So hold on to the one who remains forever. When we gain Jesus, we gain everything. See, the Pharisees can't help but stick to their positions. They're in too deep. They know Jesus can heal, so they're waiting around for Jesus to do a miracle, Not so that they can see a miracle and then believe Jesus, but so that they can accuse him and put him to death. Look at verse eight. But he knew their thoughts and told the man with the shriveled hand, get up and stand here. So he got up and stood there. See, Jesus knows their thoughts. If you you had a question in this passage whether or not Jesus is claiming divinity, it's right here. Jesus can read our thoughts. He knows our minds. Our hearts and minds are laid bare before the Lord. Jesus is showing us again proof that he is God. But then he calls that man with the shriveled hand up before him. And notice what that man does. Instant obedience. Such a contrast to the Pharisees. See, the man shows his faith. He doesn't say, well, you know, it's the Sabbath. I shouldn't, I shouldn't stand up. Yeah, the man obeys because he knows who's before him and the, the benefit that comes from following Jesus. Did you see the contrast? A response of faith versus a response of rejection. Look at verse nine and 10 again. And then Jesus said to them, I ask you, Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath or to do evil? To save life or to destroy it? After looking around at all of them, he told told him, the man, stretch out your hand. And as he did, his hand was restored. See, Jesus calls out the Pharisees for their hypocrisy. See, they're, they're looking for a way to kill him. Jesus is pointing out, like, 
I'm here to heal and to restore vitality to a man so he can start making a living again. Did you notice it was his right hand that was shriveled? Likely that meant he couldn't work or or earn a living. That's why he was at the temple. He's begging. That's his way. But Jesus is saying, I'm here to heal him, restore vitality, and, and he'll be able to work again. And what are you guys doing? You're here to see uh, what I'm doing to accuse me and then put me to death. Life versus death. Jesus is saying, who's really the one who is violating the command? Who's really the one who's violating the heart of God? It's a rhetorical question. It's clearly the Pharisees. See, they were so committed to legalism that it had killed their compassion. Remember our big takeaway. Gospel living is marked by devotion to Jesus and compassion towards others. See, God's word never separates love for Jesus and showing compassion and love and service towards others, whether it be other believers or other unbelievers. What does that mean for us then? Well, it means that obedience to Christ and all of his law is summed up in love God, love your neighbor. Here's what Jesus says in Matthew 22. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. So primary, love God. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Here it is. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. We don't need a a 39-page rule book anymore. It's all summed up in this. Love your God, love your neighbors. Paul, following the example of Jesus, says this in Galatians, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one commandment. You want to keep the law, do this. Love your neighbor as yourself. See, Jesus shows us by his example that true worship of God, true devotion to God leads us in compassion towards other people. But look at how the Pharisees respond to the healing. Verse 11, they, however, were filled with rage and started discussing with one another what they might do to Jesus. Do you notice their response? It's not a response of faith. Instead of responding in faith, instead of responding in repentance, God has just done a miracle before them. Could you imagine being there and seeing life and vitality restored to a man who was there for years? Their response, instead of repentance and faith, is hatred and rage against Jesus. See, what this shows us is the blindness that sin can cause. See, not just, not just for unbelievers, but for believers as well. If, if you find yourselves res- resisting Jesus, it's wise to ask questions like this. This is not exhaustive, but, help a, but just to help us evaluate our lives. Are we resisting Jesus because we don't like what Jesus calls us to do? Do you have a problem with the commands that he's given you? Is it, is it too hard? Is it too much? Well, we can ask him for more faith. We can ask him for power, but are we resisting because we don't like it? The second question, are we resisting because we don't want to change how we're living? Are we content with the way things are? See, one of the realities of the Christian life is that as we continue to walk with the Lord, his spirit continues to expose things in our life. 
And if we're too content with the way we're living and we're resisting change, that's a warning sign to us. These questions will help us evaluate that. But the reality of the way sin blinds us should also give us compassion towards unbelievers. See, their resistance to Jesus and at times their hostility towards God is because of the blindness that Satan is causing. Here's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians. The God of this age, meaning Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Friends, the the, the people around us are being blinded actively by the God of this world, by Satan. And so our response towards them shouldn't be aggression, but should always be that of gentleness and respect. Why? Because remember, our big takeaway, gospel living is marked by devotion to Jesus and compassion towards others. We respond with gentleness and respect and with prayerfulness, asking God to work in their life. We didn't save ourselves. God worked in us. We were once blind as well. And so we, we asked the Lord to do that same work in others that he did in us. But the Pharisees, they don't respond that way because they're blinded. And because of their rage, look at verse 11 again. They started discussing with one another what they might do to Jesus. They've determined now we need to kill him. But friends, the, the reality is there's nothing they can do to take Jesus' life. See, there's, there's accounts all throughout the Gospels of crowds going with the intention to kill Jesus, and he just walks right through them. If he's Lord of the Sabbath, he is Lord of his life, no one can take his life. He's God. He has all authority and all power. But because of his compassion for the loss and his desire to obey the Father, he lays his life down willingly. Look at what John says in his gospel. This is Jesus speaking. No one takes it from me, meaning his life. No one can take it, but I lay it down of my own. I have the right to lay it down and have the right to take it up again and he does that out of obedience to the father see jesus comes and he lays down his life to save sinners who have broken his law and he saves them by his own life reconciles us to god and then enables us to actually love and to know god himself and then he he tells us how we should live a life pleasing to him that's why he's told us the big takeaway. Gospel living is marked by devotion to Jesus and compassion towards others. Love for God, love for others. We are able to do this now. Brothers and sisters, we're able to do this now because he hasn't left us on our own, but he's given us the spirit the spirit who's given us a new heart and given us eyes to see the glory of God. We're actually able to know God. We're actually able to, to understand him and to, to follow him. And then he empowers us and leads us to show love and compassion to those around us. So let's pray together, ask him for those things. 
Father, we thank you for this time in your word. We thank you that you've shown us what it's like to live in this new way. A love for you and a love for those around us. But we admit that we cannot do it on our own, but even as we've, we've just seen, you've given us your spirit. We're not left to ourselves, but your spirit given us new life. It's given us eyes to see who you are. So give us fresh eyes to see that we might know you, that we might see you deeper and that you would lead us by your spirit, empower us to follow you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's, let's respond to the Lord, asking him to, to open our eyes and to lead us in love to those around us. For more resources or information about Hope Church, visit HopeTorontoNorth.com.